Good morning, everyone. Happy Father's Day to all of our fathers. Today, I, I want to talk to you about risk. If you remember reading C.S. Lewis when you were a kid, remember reading The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe? Some of you are like, if you're like me, you didn't know that he was a Christian. C.S. Lewis is right, one of the greatest Christian voices in the last century. But most of us just kind of remember him for those fairy tales. And there's, I just thought of this when I was, I was sitting right there. And I just thought, I was like, oh, that's a good line. C.S. Lewis in one of them, I forget which one of the Narnia Chronicles, but he has this great line where he talks about Aslan. And Aslan is the lion. And the, the Chronicles of Narnia are a allegory about the Christian life. Uh, Tolkien, when he wrote Lord of the Rings, didn't like allegory as much, but C.S. Lewis did. And so Lewis, Aslan the lion, is an image of Jesus in those books very clearly and very intentionally. And one of the children asks about Aslan, they ask, is he safe? And the answer is, He's not safe, but he is good. He's not safe, but he is good. And today I want to talk about that. If you have an image of Jesus that is a safe image, that makes you comfortable, and, you know, there's times you should feel comfortable. But if you're always comfortable, if, if Jesus is just a warm, fuzzy feeling uh, for you, that makes you feel safe and secure always, you're probably not living the Christian life. Jesus should make you uncomfortable. He's not safe, but he is good. So, I don't know about you, but most of my life, I spend a great deal of time in what we call risk management. Right? We all do this. You could probably come up with 20 examples in your own life. Right back before I was going to be a priest, you always hedge your bets, right? Before you're going to ask out a girl, you try your hardest to make sure she's going to say yes because there's a big risk that she might not, right? I always think, are guys still like high schoolers? Yes, no. You know, when you ask girls out, do you guys still do this? They're like, I'm not admitting this, Father Brian. You know you are. We hedge our bets. Right? We don't like risk. We don't like the idea that if we're going to ask someone out, they might say no. When I was uh, assigned to be the pastor here at Lourdes, they sent us to a new pastor workshop. And I remember going to that, and it was helpful and well-intended, and it scared the heck out of me. I was like, I had all these ideas of things I wanted to do at Lourdes. And they brought in leader after leader from the diocese, and they were like, you know that idea you have about that like parish festival? Don't do it. You're going to get sued. And they're like, hey, you know that idea you have about, you know, your grotto space? And those, don't do it. You're going to get sued. And I remember leaving, and I was just like, I can't do anything. Like, I'm terrified. When I was a kid, I found out, you know, that there were rattlesnakes in Colorado. And I told my mother I was never going outside again. Risk management. <laughs> We get scared about that. It's nervous. We, we get nervous following things and going through on things when there's a risk involved, right? Everything from investments to relationships 
to our day-to-day lives. I get nervous changing lanes on I-25 because it might be the wrong lane, and it always is, right? We get nervous about risk, and we work hard to avoid it. One more story, when I was a kid, I remember, and to tie this to Father's Day a little bit, my dad was at the last mass, and one of my favorite memories of my father was uh, when I was a kid, I was a pitcher, and my dad taught me how to pitch. And I'll always remember being in the backyard throwing the baseball with my dad or the football, and we had a pretty good baseball team. And my dad always wanted me to have, you know, one leg up on the next, you know, kid in the little league. And so when I was, I don't know how old I was, uh, 10, I don't know, my dad taught me, I was the first kid in our little league to learn how to throw a curveball. I was kind of a big deal. <laughs> and no one else could throw a curveball yet. And so we'd, we'd practice for hours in our backyard. And I got pretty good at throwing a curveball. But I remember the first game I ever was going to throw a curveball. And I was just terrified. And so we were, we were out. My, I thought it was the mountains. My dad said this morning it was Arvada. Close enough. <laughs> so we were in Arvada, I guess. And I was pitching. And I just was doing my normal, you know, 10-year-old pitch. It was just straight down the middle, just a fastball. And this guy got up to bat, and he hit the ball to Kansas. And it was, I was just mortified. And praise God, it was foul. And I got back on the mound, and I looked at him, and I'm like, this guy is just going to eat me alive. Now, my dad had arranged a signal when he, like, wanted me to throw the curveball. And it was, of course, your tenant's so embarrassing. My dad's, like, behind the backstop going. <laughs> and I'm like. And I'm praying, I'm like, God, make my dad stop embarrassing me. But I knew he wouldn't give up, so I did it. I made my first try at a curveball. And I, I was so nervous, and I was on that pitching mound, and I leaned back, and I, I threw it, and it slipped out of my hand and went half the distance to home plate. And I was like, that's it, I'm going to be a priest. <laughs> But the good news is, I, I, I got back up, I was just mortified, but I actually ended up striking that guy out, and I had one of the best, and my curveball came in, and I ended up having one of the best games I had ever had at that, at that moment. The point is this, in natural, normal human life, but especially as a Christian, brothers and sisters, if you're going to live a life that will fulfill you, that will call you to be the man or the woman you're supposed to be, you have to take a chance. And you have to enter into risk. And that's what our gospel is about today. In Mark chapter 4 is where we're at, and Jesus is telling all these parables. And isn't it odd? Did you ever wonder why he does that? Right? Jesus, why can't you just be straight with us? Tell us exactly what you mean. Why are you always speaking in parables? And today's gospel gives us a hint at why. If you, if you were listening at the end of the gospel today, Jesus says this. He says, With many such parables, 
right? So many more than we even heard today. He spoke the word to them. He did not speak to them without a parable, but privately to his own disciples, he explained everything. Now, isn't that interesting? When Jesus, and and if we did some context here, in the context of today's gospel, when Jesus, before he preaches to the crowds, he was inside a house. But not just any house. He's inside the house of St. Peter. And when he leaves the house and he goes outside and he speaks to the crowds, he speaks in parables. And then again, they come back inside the house. And when they're in the house, in Peter's house, Jesus explains exactly what he means. And why would he do that? It's kind of tough. We need to wrestle with this. We need to think, why would Jesus do that? That's weird. That's strange. Right? In the modern world, we think the same thing about God. If you're really God, why don't you just tell us? In John 14, Philip says that to Jesus. He says, why don't you just reveal yourself to everyone? Don't you wish that? Right? If our faith is true, if he really is God, Lord, you have all the power on earth. You're omniscient. You're omnipotent. You have everything. Why wouldn't you just reveal yourself to everyone? Have you ever wondered that? I hope you have. It's a hard thing to wrestle with. And here's what it's about, brothers and sisters. God doesn't just want you to know something. He does. Of course he wants you to know something. But he doesn't just want that. He wants you to know in such a way that you take a chance on him. God doesn't just want you to have factual knowledge. He wants you to follow him. He wants you, in other words, to take a risk. Why would God want you to take a risk? Because God's a lover. Right, ladies, I always talk to to the young men and lords about this. Uh, And I'm, you know, obviously I'm out of this scene, but I'm amazed now. Everyone asks each other out, I guess, through dating apps, which blows my mind. That's amazing. I'm like, wow. Talk about risk management, right? You don't even have to see the person or even hear their voice. It's just on an online app. What does a woman want? A man who took a risk, right, and says, gosh, maybe, maybe I'll be rejected. Maybe this woman won't love me. But she's beautiful enough. She's intriguing enough. There's something about her that I'll take a chance. God's a lover. And he doesn't just want you to know things. He wants you to surrender to him. He wants you to say, Jesus, gosh, I don't know all the answers to everything. There's some tough questions about Christianity out there. I don't understand all the the moral teachings of the church or maybe the sacraments or, I don't know, maybe some of the historical questions. 
Or maybe it's that I don't understand why my life is as hard as it is. But is there something in him that's beautiful enough and intriguing enough that you say, I'll take a chance? That's the only reason I have ever grown in faith. And that's what it means to grow in faith, brothers and sisters. It doesn't mean that you know all the answers. If it did, Christianity would just be for smart people. It means that you have taken a chance. You've surrendered yourself. When I was in college and I had my conversion, that's exactly what happened. And there were these two paths in front of me. And I didn't know. I didn't know the answers. If someone came up to me and said, you know, Father Brian, why does Jesus, well, they didn't call me Father in college. Um, that would be really weird if they did. <laughs> Is this a sign? <laughs> but I didn't know the answers, but there was something in Jesus, there was something so beautiful in him that I said, I don't know, Lord, I don't know if this is real. I don't really know if you rose from the dead. I don't really know if you're God. I don't know if I'm supposed to live like the, my parents kind of always said I should. But there's something there. There was something beautiful and true that I said, I got to take a chance. And I lost some of the things in my life I could have had. I could have been out of the parties. I could have been engaged in sexual immorality. I could have been pursuing purely my own pride and power and pleasure. And it took me a long time, and I'm still not there. But I took a step. Faith is not knowing all things. Faith is a love, and it's a risk. You should go outside yourself. So back to our gospel today. So Jesus, here's the difference, brothers and sisters. He speaks in parables to crowds, but he explains things to those who are in Peter's house. And unsurprisingly, by the way, St. Mark, who wrote our gospel that we're reading from, was mentored personally by St. Peter. That's where this gospel comes from. Mark was not an apostle. Mark is Peter's disciple. And so Mark shows us through the gospel that if you want to understand Jesus, you need to be in Peter's house. You need to be in the church. Pope Benedict says this, by the way, someone asked me recently, one aside, they were like, Father Brian, how come you don't quote Pope Francis as much? I quoted Pope Francis yesterday. I gave a talk at the Augustine Institute, and you'll love this quote. This will be your all-time favorite quote from any pope. Pope Francis said in uh, Wednesday audience a couple months ago, he begged that priest, he said, your homily should be no longer than 10 minutes. <laughs> That's why I don't quote Pope Francis. <laughs> right there. Pope Benedict says this, he says, the knowledge of God is a way. It's not, it's not that you know everything. It's not that you see everything. It's a way. It's a road. It means discipleship. 
It is not revealed to an uncommitted, permanently neutral observer, right? Don't you want to be that? I want to hold out until I know, right? Lord, I don't know if this is real. I want to sit on the sidelines until I know for sure that you are who you say you are. If you do that, you'll never be a Christian because God will not reveal himself to you. He will only reveal himself to those who have faith. Because God's a lover. And what he asks of you is that you have love for him and you take a chance. And you step out and you say, I don't know everything. My moral life might not be all together. I don't have a prayer life. I don't know all these things, but Jesus, I'll take a chance. Christianity is not revealed to an uncommitted, permanently neutral observer, but rather it is disclosed in the measure in which one sets out on the way. Do you want to go in faith? Take a chance. You'll never grow in faith by just asking God for faith. You want to really grow in faith? Do something you would never have done if that man wasn't God. Right? Live your life, take a chance, risk something. What if you went home today and you canceled your cable subscription and you gave that money to the poor? You probably wouldn't do that otherwise. Take a risk. In our, in our gospel, again, so that distinction, though the crowd outside and the disciples in Peter's house, that's the distinction, brothers and sisters. Why does Jesus reveal the parables to those in the house? Because they have risked something. The ones in the house are not the crowd. There's a distinction. The crowd sits on the sidelines. They like to hear Jesus talk. And they hope he'll perform some miracle. And the Lord does not reveal himself to them. The disciples in Peter's house are the ones who have left their life to follow him. And that remains true today. You'll never be a Christian on the sidelines. There is no such thing as a Christian on the sidelines. People who stay on the sidelines neither deceive themselves or they leave the church. But when you meet those people who have left everything, isn't it funny? When people risk things for Jesus, you'd think they'd become bitter maybe. But they tend to be those Christians that annoy you because they're so on fire with love for God. Because God's a lover. And he calls us to risk something for him. I want to leave you today with a challenge to fathers. My brothers and my fathers, thank you. Thank you for being here. When men are involved in their faith, it changes everything. 
we know right now in our country that if, if men are more involved, churches thrive, families thrive. Women, there's something so beautiful about women about they tend more towards fidelity. But fathers don't. And so if you're here, thank you. Thank you for being here because that makes you more of a man and more of a father. My challenge to you is this. Dads are so good at risk management. My dad is the best risk manager I think I've ever met in my life. Right? He knows exactly when I should be blowing out the sprinklers and changing the oil and when the crack in my windshield is too big and, like, I don't know, when my floors are too dirty and they're going to crack. He knows all that stuff. And I'm like, Dad, I'm 37. He doesn't care. All those things are good. We, fathers are so good about avoiding unnecessary risk, and they should be. But the whole point of that, dads, the reason we avoid risk and we teach children things is so that someday they can give themselves for something that matters. Right? You want your sons and your daughters to be prudent and wise and save. Why? So that someday they can give it all away to their spouse and their children. You have to be wise so that you can risk something. And something that matters. So the greatest thing your children need from you, they need your advice, they need your guidance, they need your strength, they need all those things. But much more than that, they need the example of a man who knows how to risk himself for something greater. A man who's not always on the sidelines, who's just watching for something to go wrong. Your sons and your daughters need a father who knows how to give himself away. Lord, grant us that. Jesus, we thank you for our fathers. We thank you more than anything that you have made your father to be our father. Lord, we ask you to bless our families. Bless us with strong men. Bless us with men who are wise, who give of themselves, who work diligently, who serve their wives and their children. But Jesus, give us men of faith. May the fathers here today, the future fathers, may all the men in this parish, Lord, may they risk their lives for you.